Well, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. Could we uh, offer a hand of appreciation to our great band and worship team? Thank you, Amy, and all of you. <clears throat> it's nice to be with you this morning. What a beautiful day uh, to, uh, to travel up from Conway this morning and uh, enjoy the, the sun and all of that. It's really, it's actually a little prettier up here, I think, than when I left there this morning. Um, it's wonderful to be with you. Um, I want to just say uh, how much I have appreciated all of those who have really stepped up and provided such great leadership for us during this time of transition, and is so thankful for the teaching team and those that have stepped in with worship, um, and the staff team, of course, we're so grateful for their continued ministry and all that they're doing. Yeah, let's do that. That's great. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, you know that whenever I'm visiting that uh, we've, we're moving forward in our process of pastoral transition, and I'm excited to say that that is the case, and so I'm looking forward to the opportunity to meet with the board uh, today as well, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to the progress that we've made, and we're continuing to uh, just seek the Lord and uh, to discern God's wisdom as we ask God to uh, provide great pastoral leadership here for us at Bentonville Church. Uh, just want to say thank you for you, your faithfulness during this time of transition. Um, it's very nice to be able to talk to uh, people that are potential pastoral persons and to be able to talk to them about what a strong and healthy church this is and how oftentimes transition reveals that. And so I'm grateful that that has been the case here at the church. I've been able to keep up during all these weeks and listen in and talk to folks, and I'm so thankful for all that's going on and all that the Lord is doing. Uh, I just also want to add my appreciation to uh, your church board. They, have, they are stellar, and they are, uh, they are so faithful, and they are good, and I've enjoyed working with them throughout all of this, and we don't know exactly how all of that will play out, how many more times, but I will say each time I've met with them and worked with them, in just the various ways that we've had to connect, it has been a real privilege for me to do that. And so uh, you have good leadership and you have a good team that's uh, providing uh, leadership for the church on your board. And so, uh, yeah, let's give God thanks for them as well. <clears throat> Certainly grateful for them. Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? And we are in, a, in, a, in this season of church life called the Lenten season, and I'm really, really, really grateful to come in this morning and see that you are using the devotional guides that the Foundry has put out, and we've got quite a few churches across our district that are, that are walking through that same, that same journey that you are. Uh, I know that we always talk about Easter being kind of the high point of the year for Christians, and that's absolutely the case. Uh, we, we understand that apart from Easter, nothing else that we do really matters. You know, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then, then we're, you know, we're fools for what we're doing. But, but we know that Jesus did raise from the dead. He is alive and well. And he is, he is our Savior, and He's our soon-coming King, and all of that. And so, walking through seasons like a Lenten season, um, where we really take some intentional time to stop and reflect on our own relationship with God... 
to stop and think about the, the areas in our life that, that we can look back over the past year and we can celebrate all that God is doing to develop His character within us and to, to celebrate that and be grateful that, that yeah, we're not, we've not reached the goal yet, but we're further down than we were a year ago, right? But all, all of us also understand that, that, that we are here and the realization of God's kingdom is there. And that there is a gap between where we are and where we want to be. And so the Lenten season is an opportunity for us to really kind of confess that gap. The recognition that that we still have a ways to go. And these days leading up to Good Friday and and just Holy Week in general, and then Easter Sunday is an opportunity for us to really stop and reflect on our own own mortality, um, our own our own. own faults in our own sin, the recognition that there's still brokenness within us, but that God is at work in us. It is that season when we, when we really look in the mirror and we evaluate. It's a great time to take inventory of our relationship with God, and whenever we find things that we know are, are not pleasing to the Lord and that we, we want God to help us with, we use this season to pray about those things, to to fast and ask the Spirit to, to fill us with more of Jesus and less of all that other stuff, and, and to find ourselves in, in a season of repentance even. It's very easy for us to, exp- to confess sin and say, I'm sorry, God, will you forgive us? And aren't you grateful that we serve a God who will forgive? Amen. I'm thankful for that. But, but he, doesn't, he doesn't just forgive us so that we can continue in sin, but he does desire repentance in us. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And this season is a, a perfect season to really uh, to ask the Spirit to help us with that. It's a, series, a season of renewal and revival as we prepare ourselves to experience what Jesus has done for us. And as Jesus was preparing to, to go to the cross... What I've always found fascinating is that anytime I know that I'm going to do something uncomfortable or if suffering is involved or something that's going to be, you know, not easy for me, oftentimes I find myself reflecting on myself. I think about how it's going to impact me. But yet Jesus didn't really do that. Very few times in Scripture, in the Gospels, do we see Jesus really kind of thinking about how this is going to impact him. Jesus all the way through is focused on us. Amen? And our well-being and what, what, what he knows that all of this is going to mean for us. And so as Jesus was making his way to the cross, it's fascinating to me that he understood the urgency of what all that meant. Time was fleeting and he needed to say a lot of things and he needed to do a lot of things. And so uh, he, he did a lot of talking and a lot of his teaching during those times leading up to what he knew was going to happen. In Luke's gospel, for about 10 chapters or so, right in the middle of that as he is making that turn toward Jerusalem and the cross, we have some of the greatest teachings of Jesus ever, those parables especially. And the parables are really awesome because Jesus is taking something that's pretty well indescribable, meaning that which is in heaven, that which is in the presence of the Father, and he's using story in order to bring it down to earth for us. Because Jesus has been there, right? And he knows what's going on there, and he wanted us to experience it here. He wanted us to know what it's all about. And chapter 15 of Luke is one of the most famous chapters of the Bible where Jesus really does that well. 
And it's, 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 it's one long parable, really, but it's told as three different parables. We know them as the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and of course that most famous of parables, probably the most famous of all of Jesus' parables, the parable of the lost son. So I'm going to read through this chapter with you this morning, and I would invite you to follow along with me. And I'll begin at verse 1 of chapter 15, and we're going to look at these, at these stories together. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Like I said, he's drawing a crowd. He's doing a lot of teaching. People that want to hear what he has to say are there, but there are detractors as well. People that really don't like what he has to say and would love to use what he says against him. They're gathering around as well. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I love that little word because you and I know when we hear the word muttered, it's probably a negative thing, right? It's not a fun thing. And they said about Jesus because they see all of the people who have followed him, all the people who have gathered around him, and they don't like those folks. And so they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now that's a statement about what Jesus has been doing, but really sometimes people make a statement and they're kind of asking a question. And they're trying to ask a passive-aggressive question, hoping that other people will kind of hear it. And really the question that they're asking when they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, is basically, why in the world is he doing something like that? That's really what they're asking. Why does he do the things he does? Why does he say the things he says? And why does he seem to be drawn to the people that he's drawn to? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And as a, as a, as a uh, sinner from way back, I'm, I'm glad to say I'm really grateful that Jesus was a person who welcomes sinners and eats with them. Amen? So the Bible says that Jesus, you know, overheard that. He knows what they're saying. And instead of responding to them directly, the Bible says he told them this story. He told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Notice he's hoping they'll overhear the gospel here. The ones who just asked the question, he's saying, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Amen? Now, Jesus begins this story, again, thinking of, these, thinking of the comment, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, thinking of the question, why would you do something like that? Jesus tells a story about the sheep who, who you know, because sheep aren't real smart, kind of wanders away from the safety of the sheepfold and kind, of, and kind of gets in a very dangerous position and there's all kinds of things that can happen to a sheep when they wander away from the protection of the other sheep as well as the shepherd. And yet the shepherd does this unbelievable thing, it is crazy really, leaves all those other 99 behind and goes after this one and in essence rescues this one sheep. And so basically Jesus is saying that that this father, remember Jesus is painting a picture of what's going on in heaven and he's trying to show us 
through these stories that this is what's happening up there. Perhaps maybe we should try to practice it down here. And he's basically saying this father will go beyond all of the safety of who's here and go after those who are lost, this sheep that's lost. And in essence, here's the story. The shepherd returns the sheep to the safety of the sheepfold. But in order for him to do that, he has to be rescued. And so Jesus is looking around. Again, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Why would he do that? Jesus is saying, all of these folks that are gathered around me, these are people in need of rescue. And those of you who are asking the question, yeah, you've kind of taken it for granted that you're a part of the sheepfold. You've got safety there. But there are people all over the place who are far from God, who are, who are in danger of all kinds of things. And the, the God we serve, unlike any other God that could ever be described, is willing to take a risk and step out and go after that one that has wandered away in order to bring them into the safety of the sheepfold. And you and I are, are invited to experience that. If we know that we have wandered away from the safety of the sheepfold, we are, we are to be reminded that we serve a God who will come in search of, you, of us. He will rescue us. And His whole point, His whole goal is to enable to put us right back where we belong, in the safety of the sheepfold. The parable of the lost sheep. This sheep, like us, like those on the margins of the crowd Jesus is ministering to, rescued and returned to the community that we're called to be a part of. And you and I are a part of the church, and hopefully we understand the blessing that that is. We have been rescued from a life of separation from our, our Creator, and we've been given the unbelievable gift of community. But Jesus tells stories like this to remind us that it's not for us just to hoard we don't just get this so we can say, well, I guess I'm lucky, you know, I guess I'm blessed. He tries to remind us, like he really wants to remind the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that we have been brought into the safety so that out of the safety of the sheepfold, we can now join Jesus in the rescue of those who have wandered off and help them experience the safety of, of community. Bentonville Community Church, Right? We've talked about that quite a bit over the years, that this is the place where people can experience community, and it's also a place that wants to be here for the community. Now, why are we here for the community? We're here for the community because we want to be good neighbors. Of course we do. We want to show a community, a group of people that loves them and desires to make it a better place. But we also recognize that part of that mission is to be a person, a church for the community, so that we can not forget our ultimate mission, which is to rescue those who are perishing. To rescue those who, have, who are not a part of the safety of community. And draw them, rescue them, help them find what we have discovered to be true for ourselves. Why is he doing something like this? Because Jesus believes that every person matters. Every person matters. And if it matters to Jesus, it matters to us. And if every person matters, then Jesus is saying, look, I'll do whatever I have to do to rescue people so they can experience the safety of community. And to which we say, thanks be to God. Amen. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 8 with me. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, just like in the other parable, hope in the Pharisees will overhear, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen? So Jesus is saying every person is worthy of rescue. Every person is worth whatever energy and time is required for us to share the love of God with them so that they can experience the safety of community, the safety of the sheepfold. But he's also saying that every person in the world has value to God. Every human person, no matter how they were made, was made in the image of God with a purpose. Everybody in your life, your friends, your family, your co-workers, your, your classmates, in relationship with God or separated from God, every one of those people were made in the image of God and God has designed them with a clear purpose. They may not know what it is. They may be wandering around, discovering all kinds of things that are contrary to the purposes of God for their life. But God has made them for a purpose. That's what the story of the parable of the lost coin is all about. This woman realizes that there's this coin. And what is a coin? Well, a, a coin is something we, we have. It's made. And it's made to be spent. Well, if you've ever lost money, the one thing you learn when you lose money is that if it's lost, you can't what? Spend it. And if you can't spend money, then it's not being used for the purpose for which it was created. Amen? Right? Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. There are a whole lot of people in this world whose lives are being used in such a way that they are no longer, they are not in any way reflecting the purpose for which they were created. And Jesus is saying all of those people matter to the Father. And that one of the greatest gifts of being a part of the community is helping people to discover why they were made, what life is all about, the meaning of this whole thing. And you and I know as followers of Jesus that all of it is about being in a right relationship with the one who made us. And so what does the woman do? She searches the house. She turns the place upside down. Because she recognizes this coin is out of circulation. It is not being used for the purpose for which it was created. It is unable to be spent. And so what she says is, I will turn this place apart in order to bring that coin back to its reason for certain reason for existence, that is to be circulated and used. So the parable of the lost coin is a parable of this one who does whatever is required to seek out and find this lost coin in order to return it to the circulation for which it was created. And my brothers and sisters, you and I are have family members and friends and co-workers and classmates that, man, we look at them and our hearts are breaking because we recognize that 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 they're also wayward and and they're not living out the purposes for which God created them. And so they are worthy of our prayers. They are worthy of our ministry. They are worthy of our investment in their lives so that we can hopefully, with God's grace, do what the Father does and pursue them with God's love so that they can experience the reason for which they were created and they can spend their lives, like that coin, use their lives in a way that brings value to the very purpose for which they were made. The parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin. This coin found by this woman. 
found by God and returned to the circulation, the purpose for which it was created, the purposes for which we were created, and to discover the joy of community. Now, Jesus starts off this long parable, these three parables together, and the punchline of this whole thing is, it's discovered when you understand the Jewish belief, at least the Jewish belief at the time of Jesus, that the two halves of God's creation, both heaven and earth, were meant to fit together and be in harmony with each other. And the reason why that sin is in this world and what sin does is it basically separates the two. And the whole purpose of, the, of, of God's work on this planet, the whole purpose of redeeming people like you and me and enabling us to experience um, what, what relationship with God is all about, is that he has placed us in this world that, that in small ways, in the ways that we live our life, that we can demonstrate to the world that, that God's kingdom really is at work and that, that we, if nothing else, our lives, our families, our choices, are in some way trying to line up to bring in harmony both God's kingdom and what is happening down here on earth. Now, we see that played out in the Lord's Prayer. In fact, this whole section on teaching in Luke begins with Jesus teaching on prayer. And as he begins this whole thing, we know one of the most important lines in the Lord's Prayer was when Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, say it with me, on earth, even as it is where? In heaven. In other words, to pray the prayer, Lord, that which is going on up there in your presence, our prayer is that, that you would bring it to pass down here where we are. And that you would use us as instruments of grace to, to, be, to be your ambassadors in enabling something like that to happen. So when you and I are praying that prayer, and it's an awesome prayer, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are in essence saying, Lord, use me in that endeavor. Because the goal of the whole redemptive journey, the whole point of rescue, the, what, the whole point of all of this is so that God can reconcile human persons, that God can take this created order, which he declared good at creation, and is now broken and marred and fallen. The whole point of it is that, that God brings it all back into harmony, brings it all back into reconciliation. And the whole purpose of the church is to raise up a group of people who have experienced that for ourselves in our own lives, but are now living that out in our relationship with each other and in our relationship with the world. So what Jesus is trying to say is, is, is in your praying, in your fasting, in your journeying, in your life together, Ask the Holy Spirit, seek to discover what is going on up in heaven. And you do that by reading the words of God. You read specifically the words of Jesus, who oftentimes paints pictures of what things are like in heaven. And then, and then by doing that, you discover how things are meant to be on earth. Now he plays that out in this parable, and I'm going to jump ahead just a bit. But look at verse 7 with me again, okay? First chapter 15, verse 7. Here's what he says. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing where? In heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So in heaven, there's rejoicing on earth. Or there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. We see that again in verse 10. Take a look at verse 10. In the same way, I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In other words, Jesus is saying, in heaven, there's a party going on. There's a celebration going on about people who are, 
who, who are lost and being rescued and finding the safety of community, community of faith, and there's rejoicing in heaven whenever people who are wayward and have, and, and have not discovered their purpose for living find their purpose for living and are now living their lives out in the way that God made them to live it. There's rejoicing in heaven about all of that. Now, what should happen down here on earth? And Jesus parallels this in the parable of the lost son. I'm going to jump ahead a bit and I'll read it in a moment. But look at verse 24. This is after the lost son has come home. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the Bible says, so they began to celebrate. So there's the picture. Here's what's going on in heaven. And Jesus shows a picture down here on earth of that being played out in the the son coming home. And then he does it again in verse 32. Jump ahead again. I'll go back to the parable in a moment. Verse 32, at the end of it, talking to the older brother who doesn't want to join the party, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. You see what Jesus is doing? He's showing what things are like in heaven, and now he's showing an image of what it can look like when it plays itself out here on earth. Friends, if we want to know what we ought to be about, then let's do our best through the Word of God and through relationship with each other. Let's discover what is going on in heaven. And let's give our time and energies to helping do what we can to bring that to bear on planet Earth. Amen? And as we do that, we might be blown away when the Holy Spirit blesses our efforts and, hello, the rescued are found and they're brought home and they find safety in community. Those who are out there flailing around without any idea of why their life is even in existence, they discover meaning and purpose when they discover their relationship with God and we help them spend their life in the way God designed it to be. Jesus shows us that the end result of that ought to be a community that is rejoicing with God, with the angels in heaven, as this world discovers um, its purpose for being. So, So what Jesus does is he walks through this planet. He simply does on earth what he knows God is doing in heaven. What I love about this, if we we ever want to know what's God like, well, let's just, just read the Gospels. If you want to learn what God is like, just get to know Jesus, amen? If you want to know what the Father values, read what Jesus values. If you want to know what the Father might have to say, listen to what Jesus has to say. And so what Jesus does is he he has a great relationship with the Father, hello, right? He is, it's all the same, one, you know, they're all one. No one knows the character of the Father better than Jesus, so what Jesus does, he just decides, I'm going to come to earth and I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure my actions on earth correspond exactly to what is happening in the heavenly realm. And what is that picture? Well, the unbelievable picture is, and what a great joy this is, that, that we don't have to earn God's love. The image of these stories that I've read to you just so far are not a sheep that... that that tries to get back to the fold, not a coin that tries to find its way back into circulation, but, but, a, but a person who says those are worth recapturing and going outside of their own comfort zone to make sure that they're found. Friends, that's the God we serve. Our, our God is not a God who's just sitting back waiting 
and just saying, well, you know, you make the first move. No, no. The God we serve makes the first move. He reaches into our lives and He reaches for us long before we even know what it means to reach back to Him. And all I can say to that is, in, you know, just to kind of parallel with what Jesus is doing, what joy, amen? That's cause for celebration. Who, who could imagine that we serve a God who actually enjoys seeking for us? He actually wakes up every day wondering how He can, how he can rescue those who are lost and wandered away. And then who would have ever dreamed that there could be a God who, upon finding us, would not scold us, but would actually celebrate with us? That's the kind of God we serve. And my whole thing is that that's the kind of God we serve, if that's what's going on in heaven, that we must be a community of faith that does the same thing here on earth. We have to find joy in serving others. We've got to recognize the absolute value and victory of inconveniencing ourselves to go outside of our comfort zones to reach in the lives of people and to celebrate all of that, especially in those moments when we recognize that one of those have come home. You see, Jesus was inviting, the whole point of these parables, knowing he's got these memoring and mumbling crowd around him, he's inviting them to celebrate with him. But instead, they're just kind of shaking their heads and they're wondering, basically they're wondering, uh, why does he do the things he does? They never could figure Jesus out. Why does he say what he says? Why does he care about the people that he cares about? You see, Jesus loved to do things his opponents thought was ridiculous. Especially when it involved rescuing the lost. Or loving the unloved. Or ministering in the margins. Or helping people find their purpose for living. That's what Jesus was all about, friends. And he invites his church to join him where he is. I just challenge us as we seek to be a really great church here and enjoy the life and the programming and all the things we get to love together. Friends, let's join Jesus in rescuing the lost and loving the unloved and ministering in the margins of this community, helping people find their purpose for living. Let's, let's, let's give as much energy and attention to that as we do about the other aspects of what makes church, church. So they're constantly asking Jesus, why in the world does he do those things? And I would love it if God would raise up Bentonville Community Church in such a way that all the other churches around here would look at you and say, why are they doing things like that? I just pray that that could happen for us. I pray the community won't even recognize it. It's just us being who we are. But if Pharisees and religious leaders, or what I could say is even other faith communities, look at us and kind of shake their heads and wonder, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, we're doing something right. So to illustrate those two smaller parables, Jesus shares his most beloved parable, the parable of the lost son. Take a look at it with me. I'll begin reading at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And in my mind, I just imagine a long pause there. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Jesus says, I can just hear him baffled. How in the world can you not celebrate that? You know, I just can sense that. So this story of the, the prodigal son, the story of this lost son, is, it is, friends, the ultimate story of the love and grace of God. It is a story of a father whose heart is broken as long as people are far from him, as long as they're wandered off in need of rescue, as long as their lives are squandered and they're not living out the purposes for which they are created. If they've chosen their own path, this is not a father who just says, you know, I guess I'll disconnect or I guess I won't care. This is a father who remains engaged and focused and cares. In other words, Jesus is trying to show them and us the picture of what our Creator God's love is like. I don't know about you, but I, can, I could serve a God like that. And he's saying, hey, this is, this is who he is. This is what makes his heart beat. This is what makes him tick. 
Jesus is trying to say, there is always a party in heaven. There's always a reason to celebrate when people turn from going their own way and begin to go God's way. And a church that has stopped partying and celebrating is a church that is no longer helping a community of people to stop going their own way and start going God's way. But if we'll give our energies to helping those things happen, in our going, in our doing, in our being, in all the other aspects of our ministry, if we'll not forget the main thing, the focus, the reason we exist as a church, then we will be a church that has constant reason to party and celebrate. See, this is one of the primary purposes of the Lenten season. As we move ourselves closer and closer to the cross and resurrection, our goal is to experience the blessing of repentance in our own lives. The recognition that apart from God's grace, we are without hope. We cannot go a different way apart from God's grace, but we've experienced God's grace. We can go a different way. Repentance is an amazing gift we've been given, and this whole world deserves to receive that very same gift. People turning from their own way and choosing to go God's way. Friends, that's what repentance is all about. In fact, that's what these three parables are all about. But the problem is the Pharisees just couldn't see any of it. In the parable of the lost son, of course, they are revealed in the character of the older, blo- of the older brother. The older brother who just can, cannot see what God is doing. He can only see the bad that's been going on. The older brother who compares everybody else's behavior to his own. A bit self-righteous and a bit self-centered. In fact, we see these, this faithful young guy is obviously a little self-centered because the questions he asks are very much me-centered. Why didn't you do things for me? And Jesus is simply reflecting the character of the day he was serving in. You see, for the Pharisees of Jesus' day, repentance didn't mean no longer going your way and now going God's way. For the Pharisees, repentance meant, meant living up to a standard that they had set for themselves for people. The Pharisees had determined what it meant to be a righteous person. And so Jesus illustrates repentance by telling the story about a person who was, who was not, not just uh, kind of off a little bit, but was completely lost, going their own way, almost unaware of what was going on, and how that person turned from their selfishness and their sinfulness to go God's way. Because for Jesus, repentance means turning from our own destructive pathways and make a decision to follow Him, to go His way. It's like this. If you're going one direction and suddenly you recognize the direction you're going is a wrong direction, you don't just make a partial turn. Repentance means you make a complete turn and you start going a new way. You see, oftentimes we approach the way we engage with God is, okay, I'm a sinner, you know, I'm broken, I'm fallen, so I'm going to ask God for forgiveness. God forgives me. Okay, that's wonderful, and that's great. But oftentimes, we want to kind of just hedge our bets a bit. We want to continue to, to turn. We want to turn back. We, we're looking at God now, but we really want to keep going the direction we're going. But the problem is, as long as we're doing that, we're still going our way. And the whole purpose of the Lenten season, what we're all about is a God who says, I love you so much. I'm offering you unbelievable grace. 
I will forgive you of your sin. But your response to that gift of grace is a response of gratitude, which means to turn away from the direction you've been going, which was away from him, and now move in full direction toward God. And what Jesus does in this story is he paints a picture of this son who does exactly that. Now, he has wandered way off. He has gone so far in his own direction. And it's gotten him where oftentimes and almost every time doing that gets us. In some sort of pit, right? Eating pig pods. In a mess. We know that when we choose our own pathway, we typically mess this whole thing up. But Jesus shows us the story of how this one comes to his senses as a result of the prevenient grace of God that's already at work in his life, becomes aware of where he's gone and goes, I just don't want to go this way anymore. And what I love about the son is he, or this lost son is he doesn't just kind of hedge his way back. That guy makes a complete turn, walks completely away from the direction he was going and goes racing home toward the father. Now friends, this season is an opportunity for you and my to ask, us to ask ourselves, Am I doing that in my own journey with God? You know, am I, am I, am I, or am I kind of hedging my bets still, you know? Still like my own way. That won't go with our Father. Jesus gave everything. He didn't hold anything back for our rescue. And what He says is, the response I desire from you is I want you to not hold anything back from me either. I want you all in. I was all in so that you can be all in. Amen? In this story, here's we get these kind of contrasts. We get get danger, but complete turns, right? Danger, now we got safety. We've got lost, and now we've got found. We've got rebellion, but then we get return, and then we get embraced by the Father, right? We get emptiness, and now we have fullness. We have this son who's disowning the father, and now we have this son and this receiving the inheritance of his father. And then we see the ultimate picture. What Jesus is trying to say is we go from death, and then we get the joys of, say it with me, of life. That's what this is all about. You see, Jesus sees all the reason in the world to celebrate. Because this is so upside down. This is not the way our world works. This is so countercultural. And Jesus says, how could we not celebrate that? But the older brother, you know, the, the Pharisees, sometimes even those of us that kind of fit that bill from time to time, he doesn't say, where can I sign up? How can I party? Let me in on the celebration. The older brother looks at all of that and goes, why in the world are you doing something like that? Why would you be so reckless in your love, so reckless in your forgiveness, so reckless in your embrace, so reckless in your celebration? Well, that's what you can do. That's what you can do when a person is no longer going their way, but is 100% going God's way. That is a reason to celebrate. Now, wrapped up in all of this amazing gift that we see with the lost son is the, the gift of free will that we've been given in this. You know, the sheep couldn't choose. Sheep are kind of dumb, right? They don't get to choose this path. They wander off and fall in ravines and die. They get eaten by wolves or whatever. They have to be rescued. Someone's got to make an initiative. Coins don't get to choose. They're lost until I find them on the road and pick them up, right? 
They are gone, gone, gone. Out of circulation, have no purpose for existence whatsoever. Sheep don't choose, coins don't choose, but Jesus shows this unbelievable story of a lost son that people can choose. You get to choose this. You have free will. Our Father will come racing after you. He will sweep the house to help bring you back into circulation. But He will never make you do it. He respects you too much. He loves you too much. You get to choose. And that's the most wonderful thing of all. There's rejoicing and more rejoicing in the angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. Guess what? Angels don't choose. Angels don't have such free will. They just worship. That's what they're made to do. You and I have been given a gift of creation that seems to be only given to us the ability to choose to be in a relationship with our Creator. All other aspects of creation just simply are in relationship by living out the purpose for which they were made, by instinct or whatever. Only we get to reflect on that, make a choice about it. Can you imagine how much greater heaven will be, how much more exciting the rejoicing will be when we get there and we realize that this wasn't always just made for us. We didn't get designed for this. We didn't get pulled into this. We got to choose this. We get to choose this in this life and the celebration in the next will be all the greater because of it. So they look at Jesus, they look at people like you and me and the things that we do, and they go, why in the world are you doing things like this? And Jesus gives us the answer. Verse 7, we do it because sinners must repent. Verses 4 and 8, we do it because a lost sheep and a lost coin are worthy of being found. We do it, verse 20, because a prodigal son comes to his senses and returns home. We do it, verse 28, because a father pleads with his older brother to join the party. That's why the father does what he does. That's why we are invited to do the things we are called to do. And the story ends like that. But it ends unfinished. Truth be told, we don't know if the lost son who was found stays found or if he wandered off again. We don't know if the older brother softened his heart and joined the party. We don't know if the older brother and the younger brother actually reconciled at some point. We don't know if the older brother remained outside. In essence, the one who thought he was in, all of a sudden now is on the outside, looking in, separated from the father. He thought he was in. And now he's separated because he refuses to celebrate. At the end of the day, I don't think the guy was upset because the younger brother had come home. At the end of the day, I think he was most upset because he somehow believed that he was right with the father because he had earned that favor. Because he would worked harder. He had been faithful. He had been obedient. And he deserved all of this stuff. And the story of the prodigal son reminds us that all of this is grace. All of it is gift. We never earn it. We never deserve it. And because we are only worthy of the opposite of this, it makes it all the more special and all the more reason to rejoice. Jesus was a great storyteller. So he left this story unfinished because Jesus knows that life is rarely tidy. Life is rarely nice. It doesn't get wrapped up in bows. He left it open-ended. And he left it open-ended so that we could find ourselves in this story and write an ending by our own choices and our own lives. And BCC, he left it open-ended so that we could discern and determine what type of church are we called to be. We don't know all the answers to these various characters in the story, but the one character in the story that we have no doubt about was the Father. Or the love of the Father toward, friends, 
both of his sons. Those who were lost and the one who has always been found. That's the father we serve. Paul describes this father to us in Ephesians 2. Listen. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's all of us. Older brother in the fold, lost son, wandered off. We all deserve wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, the Father, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is, say it with me, the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We know this parable, of course, is the parable of the lost son. Because the others are all about something lost being found. And that is good, and that is right, and that is true. But the real hero of this story is not the lost son. The real hero in this story is the father. So we could actually call this the parable of the forgiving father or the seeking father because without a father willing to forgive or receive and celebrate his lost child, there would be no parable to tell. You see, friends, even heaven's celebration over one who is lost being found is about a forgiving father. A creator God who is willing to set everything aside in paradise to throw a party when one who is lost finds his or her way home. All of this is the picture of a God who will set whatever agendas he has aside and step out of the comforts of his own security in paradise to come where we are in the flesh of his own son and live a life for us knowing that that life would result in his death on a cross. And he would do that willingly because he believes you are worth the rescue. You're worth sweeping the house to pull you back into purpose. You are, worth, you are worth standing at the edge of the community and just waiting and praying until you come to your senses and if he can just see you on the horizon, he'll race towards you to embrace you and welcome you back home. You are worth it to our God. This community is worth it to our God. Amen?
So here's what I ask you today. Do, do you feel lost today? Like that prodigal son? Feel like maybe you've kind of turned your eyes way away from where they need to be? To use the parable of the lost coin as an example, do you feel lost and out of circulation? You're living your life, you're doing your thing, but in your heart of hearts you know that somehow or another you've allowed that thing to take priority and you've kind of lost the purpose for which God really made you to start with. You're not fulfilling the purposes of God for your life. Or like the lost sheep, do you, do you feel lost? Kind of by choices you've made, Maybe you feel like you've kind of moved beyond the safety of the sheepfold and therefore feeling in danger of the enemy and the ways he would seek to destroy your life. Or do you feel like the son, lost, disconnected from the family, alienated, all alone in this life, wondering if there's any other way for you? In all those stories, wherever we find ourselves, there is a God who is engaged in that whole journey, willing to do whatever it takes so we could experience it for ourselves. All throughout this whole thing, we've heard people asking questions of Jesus and th- why in the world does he do the things he does? I long for a church that others would say, why do they do the things that they do? But I would just invite you today in your own life to do something today in your relationship with God that would make those in your life that are far from God, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, whatever, by the way you live your life and the changes that it's made as a result of repentance and all of that, what would happen if you could tell behind the scenes people were saying about you, why are you doing something like that? I pray that you could experience this unbelievable gift of God's grace and discover it for yourself. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, this morning, we are so grateful for the the unbelievable gift of a father who loves us so much that he'll do whatever it needs to be done in order to offer us life and rescue and purpose and home and family and salvation and all of it. We thank you, God, that every bit of it is a result of his grace and not our works, not our ability to earn it or deserve it. We come before you this morning and we recognize, as Paul told us in that text, that we are, we are undeserved, we are children of wrath, but yet you and your great mercy have offered us a gift. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that as you're ministering to their hearts, Lord, that they would open their hearts to receive that gift. If they find themselves like that coin or that sheep or that son or even feeling like the older brother a bit, I pray that they would receive all the same grace, all the same gift, the opportunity to experience the celebration of what you're doing in their lives. I pray that for each one of these wonderful people, I pray that, Lord, for this church, that you would use this congregation to be an instrument of your grace to a community, Lord, that is all of these things but Lord can be all these other things because of our investment in them so Lord we love you we want you in our lives for today we'll give you praise and thanks in Jesus name and all God's people agree and say amen